I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat, to, my threat enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful I am powerful. I am strategic, I am strategic and, bold. and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. Hey, that's right, chapter 11. 11, that's right, a brand new thing. We are on the issue of not just family roles, but what? Biblical, and boy, is that the key word there, biblically family roles. And those are a lot better than cinnamon rolls. You guys learned that yet? Yeah, yeah I'm already breaking a, a rule that they said in Bible college, don't, uh, in the evening or certainly in Sunday mornings, don't start off with food analogies. Because that reminds everybody how hungry there is. But that's right, I digress. Let's continue on. Biblical family roles is the topic there. Who defines the family? Now, why would you guys say that that's an important question? Who defines the family? Big deal. So I got my opinion, you got yours. So uh, why is this an important question? That's right, Robert. Give it up for Robert. That's awesome, dude. It was like on the spot. I even put the pressure on you. That's right. God defines, right? Now, see, that's the problem with society today. Guess who's defining biblical roles for marriage and manhood and womanhood and even children? Satan is, okay? And, and I'm telling you, this is what we talked before with the importance of creation, the importance of understanding and giving a defense for the biblical account of creation. Why? Because creation is found in... Genesis. Genesis. That's right, Tom. The beginning, their point, the first page of the Bible there. And so if I can't take Genesis, the Genesis account, chapters 1, 2, and 3, literally, then it's not just the origins question. It's the origin of family, of marriage. Then why should I take that serious? If that doesn't really mean 24 literal hour days, then maybe this really isn't how family's supposed to be between one woman and one man. You see what I'm saying? Let's, let's get going. It says, what is family? What is a man? What is a woman? And are there differences in the sexes? Thank you that at least one person said that. Yes, there is. Okay. Uh, if there are differences and their reasons, uh, are there reasons for these differences? Yes, that's the way God made us, okay? In the day that we live in, uh, there is much to be said about the traditional family. And boy, is that being attacked today. Uh, can anybody name just maybe a couple elements, a couple isms uh, that are attacking traditional marriage today? Alcoholism. Alcoholism, okay. Anything else? Legal system, that's, yeah. What's influencing the legal system? 
Feminism, that's right, Ruth, feminism. Well, that's a big one. I saw that creeping out of there. Feminism is a huge attack. We'll get to that if we can get that far in the notes today. That, that, that they're trying to redefine men, women, marriage, you know, that man needs to be more like a man, woman more like a, uh, 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 man needs more like a woman, a uh, woman more like a man, and this unisex thing, they're messing it all up, okay? Uh, another one would happen to be another hot topic, okay? Homosexuality is going on there, doesn't, and uh, stuff like that. So they're, they're defining that, they're trying to redefine that, because again, what's the biblical uh, text? What's the traditional thing? It's one man and one woman. That's what constitutes a biblical family. Okay? And marriage. Okay, let's continue on. But as we observe the way the family is defined, i.e., one man united with one woman. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Underline this because you need to because it's going to get worse. Lord willing, we'll get to this next week. And it is getting worse. It says one man and one woman. Now, with the homosexual movement, we've been focusing on the words man and woman. Obviously, right? Because they're trying to challenge that. Now, it's, they say it could be man and man and woman and woman. But that's not what the Bible teaches, okay? Now, what you need to underline now is the words there, one and one. You know why? And we warned this when we were going through the final countdown study. Said it's, you watch it. And, of course, the Supreme Court did what they did, okay? And so guess what is now coming down the pike? We'll get into this much uh, later. Polygamy. Polygamy. And now they're saying, well, and they're using the basis of the so-called homosexual argument. If you're going to, in the court system, rule that it's marriage is no longer traditional between one man and one woman, but it's now a man and a man or a woman and a woman, then why does it have to be just one? And they're using the same argument to say that you can have multiple marriage partners without the stigma of adultery. They're pushing polygamy. You think that's bad? It's already starting to go into the next stage. Now they're saying, well, wait a second. If you're going to redefine marriage to that point... And now you're going to open up the doors, not just for homosexuality and lesbianism and condone that. Uh, and then now you're going to start having to go down the route with polygamy. Uh, then wait a second. Uh, what about uh, pedophiles and their relationships? It's already happening. Why? Because Romans chapter 1, so I'm not going to go in there because we dealt that in great detail in our final countdown study, the rise of wickedness, okay, says that once you open up Pandora's box and once you get to that depraved mind and depraved heart deal, your society is going to go down the tubes. And it even says there in Romans as a warning that you're going to get to the point where your society is going to invent ways of doing evil. We're there. Okay? Why? All because we have rejected God's role for biblical family. I'd say it's kind of an important study. How about you? Hey, praise God. Let's continue on. Uh, one man and one woman. We need to consider this question. Is this idea of the family defined uh, by tradition? Is that all it is? I.e. the way culture has dictated it? Or is it God's design? God's design, that's right. Now, with the increasing divorce rate, the rise of homosexual marriages, and the increasing prevalence of the, I, I underline this in my notes, satanically inspired feminist movement. What? That sounds pretty harsh. I thought it was just equal rights, equal pay. No, it's not. You need to understand, folks, we talked about this before, the movers and shakers behind the feminist movement freely admit it's a spiritual movement. And their goal, their agenda, it's not equal rights, equal pay. Their goal, their agenda is to replace God, the male patriarchal God, with the feminist God. And again, we dealt with that in the final countdown study with the woman that rides the beast. There's going to be a female a religious figure in, in play. Let me give you some uh, examples of that real quick, of uh, the spiritual element behind feminism. Okay, it's not just what we're being told. It's a lie. It's a ruse. Mary Daly, who considers herself, listen, because this has infected the church. 
Okay, you got, you got female pastors, uh, you got uh, ladies who are usurping a male headship authority and doing all kinds of rebellion, stuff like that, not just in the home, but it's even in the church. Okay, but listen to these. These are ladies who are claiming to be Christians. Okay, Mary Daly, who considers herself to be a Christian feminist, says this about traditional Christianity. To put it bluntly, I propose that Christianity itself should be castrated. The primary focus of the Christian feminists is to put an end to what they perceive as male-dominated religion by castrating the male influence from religion. Uh, Daly continued by saying, I am suggesting that the idea of salvation uniquely by a male savior, Jesus, perpetuates the problem of patriarchal oppression. I'd say somebody's getting away from the Genesis account. Now, this is in the church. There's a website out there. I've told you, go check this out before. Her church, herchurch.org, herchurch.org. Uh, it's Ebenezer Lutheran Church. It's in San Francisco. On Wednesdays, they open their sanctuary. You know, like what we're doing here tonight. Here's what they're doing most likely tonight. Get this. For the Christian goddess rosary. And they say that the exclusive emphasis of God as father supports a domination structure that oppresses and subordinates women. What? They also encourage people to pray the hail goddess prayer. Why would they combine this whole Catholic thing? Well, who's the icon of Catholicism? Mary. Gee, that's convenient, huh? Uh, and states that, uh, Hail, goddess full of grace, blessed are you, uh, and blessed are all the fruits of your womb, for you are the mother capital of us all. Wow. Uh, Paul Smith in his book, Is It Okay to Call God Mother? says, I believe it's important to call God Mother as well as Father in public worship. These are people in the church. Richard and Catherine Kroger, authors of Women Elders Called by God, says, quote, there is good biblical reason then to speak of God as both father and mother, both she and he. Really? Show me the verse. Excuse me? Jan Klein, author of God, a word for girls and boys, says masculine God language hinders many children from establishing relationships of trust with God. Yeah. In addition, calling God he causes boys to commit the sin of arrogance Calling the supreme power of the universe, he causes girls to commit the sin of devaluing themselves. And so for the, listen to this, for the sake of these little ones, the kids, we must change the way we talk about God. And one more, of course, you guys know this. One of the hottest books that's been promoted, and still, I can't believe it's still in churches today, called The Shack. And it's not only no openly new age, but hello, it represents, guess what? God as a woman. Okay, so we've seen that uh, before. Okay, now then that's what I'm saying. Just a little teaser, folks. This is a spiritual movement. It's a complete rejection of the Genesis account. It's a twisting and manipulating of, of God's design. Why? Because that's what Satan does, right? He takes God's truths and he twists, contorts, and perverts it and messes it up. That's what he's all about, right? He's the great deceiver. All right, let's continue on. It's satanically inspired. I love that. Feminist movement in our culture. There is an all-out war, underline that one too, on the biblical family. Our godless culture is and will continue in its redefining of the institution of family. That's why it's so important for us to understand what God has to say on the matter of his original design and the purpose for the family. It's almost like, man, we should probably do like a family marriage study uh, this fall or something. Hey, that's a good idea, Ron. I think we will. Uh, Lord willing, let's continue on. Uh, just give you a little teaser of what's coming. Uh, that's why it's so important for us to understand this. We'll look first at God's overall design for the family from the creation account. 
And again, this is why you got to take this literally. It's literal 24 hours days because this is a literal pattern for marriage. A literal one man and a literal one woman. That's it. Okay? That's what he says. And then in the chapters that follow, we will look at God's word, what he has to say about the roles of man, husband. We're going to look at uh, 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 the father, the, the woman, the wife, the mother, and of course, the little uh, chitlin, crumb snatcher. What did you say, Don, in your big movie debut? Rugrats. Lizards. Rugrats was good. I like that one. Okay. That, that linoleum lizard. That's hard to get out. And you got to take 57. <laughs> yeah. That's what we were envisioning. So we skipped it. Uh, <laughs> so quite frankly, uh, Satan knows that if he can destroy God's design for the family, he can destroy the society. Wait a second. Has anybody seen some timing here? Now we know he says right here that Satan's design is to destroy God's family. Well, how's he going to do that in a Judeo-Christian uh, culture? Right? That we used to be. Well, before you can attack that, you better attack the creation account. You better supplant literal biblical creation in the minds of the people, in the media, and the school system, and get that rolling really good, because once people start to doubt page one and the first three chapters of Genesis, then you could spring feminism on us. And if you do the timeline, that's about when it's all unfolding. It's almost like he's got a methodia, as the Greek says, a plan, a strategy, and he does. Okay, we need to wake up to it. And so he knows if he can destroy God's design for the family, he can destroy society and neutralize the church. Okay, this is clear from the fact that when he initiated his first attack on mankind, it was to destroy God's design for the family. Okay, I think it went something like this. You guys might have heard this before, but I can't, I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord. Okay, but maybe there's something in here. Uh, one day, Adam was moping around the Garden of Eden, and he was feeling really lonesome, right? Because we help mate God, right? And so God asked uh, Adam, what's wrong, Adam? And Adam answered, he didn't have anybody to talk to, right? So God said he was going to give him a companion. And then it would be a woman, okay? And he said that this woman, listen, would cook for you, wash your clothes, always agree with every decision you make. She's going to bear your offspring, never ask you to get up in the middle of the night with him. Uh, she will not nag, and she will always be the first one to admit that she was wrong in a, a disagreement. She's never going to have a headache, and she's going to freely give you love and compassion. And Adam said to God, whoa, what's a woman like this going to cost? And God said, an arm and a leg. And Adam said, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> the rest is history. Let's move on. All right. So with this fact in mind... <laughs> It is imperative that as Christians, we understand the God-given design for the family as well as the roles for biblical family. So let's do that. Does the Bible teach equality? This is the rub with feminism. Equality of the sexes. Yeah, we'll get into that. So let's take a look. The only way to understand God's design for family and thus biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is to take a look at, guess where? Genesis 1 through 3. All right. Now it's here that God defines biblical manhood as your first blank there manhood and womanhood okay and uh, this is our foundation for evaluating the culture understanding uh, with which we are constantly bombarded okay so how do you know how do you combat is society right or are we wrong are we just being those you know intolerant people who just will not go along with what's best for society no we're sticking with what God has to say Okay, that's what society would say about us, but that's not the case. Get back to what God has to say. Now, although we're not going to deal extensively with the details uh, for the sex rules, that's going to be dealt in the succeeding chapters, one on man, one on woman, and one on the child. As we finish up this study, Lord willing, start 8, 15, 12, 3009. Uh, and what we're going to do uh, is define God's basic design for the family. Now, this is going to show clearly that God intended, listen, distinct and separate roles which 
complement each other in the family union. Now separate, uh, uh, underline there, distinct and separate, and then the one complement, okay? Because that's again what they're trying to do. They're trying to blur the lines. That they want to get rid of any distinction. They want to bring this false sense of unity again where the man becomes more like the woman, the woman more like the man and just all equal. And, and we all know that a marriage, a successful marriage is one that gives 50-50. Liar, liar, pants on fire. It's 100%, 100% and what God has called you to do individually. But you got to do what he's called you to do, what he's called you to do. Okay, 100%, not 50-50. Because again, that's an illusion. That's, save that for a marriage study sometime. Uh, how, how, do you, how, what, how do you know the magical number? I mean, do you really itemize all the chores in the house and all the responsibilities? Well, you do this, it's 50% right here. I've got a down mouth. It took me nine hours on the calculator to figure it out. It doesn't work that way. You do 100% as the man, what you're supposed to do as a biblical man, and you do what you're supposed to do 100% as a biblical woman, Right? And you do it as an act of obedience between you and God. Did you know that the way that we treat our spouses, gosh, I'm getting into the marriage side. We haven't even started. Uh, that the way that we treat our spouses is a service to Jesus Christ. It is. We think of Sunday school, and that's good. We think of, you know, preaching or leading the choir or stuff like that. That's good. That's good. Okay? Serving as a deacon, doing whatever, right? That's awesome. But do we look at how we treat our spouse as an act of service to Jesus Christ? Ooh, he's Midlands, continue on. Uh, uh, Ray C. Ortland Jr., that's right, he defines the, biblically the terms male-female equality and also male headship. Difference, let's pay attention to this one. He defines male-female equality in the following way. Man and woman are equal in the sense that they bear God's image equally. Okay? His image equally. The other important term is male headship. Okay, and he defines that as this. In the partnership of the two spiritually equal human beings in that we're creating God's image, man and woman, the man bears the primary, is your blank there, the primary responsibility to lead the partnership, the family, the marriage, in a, listen, God-glorifying direction. Key words there, God-glorifying direction. Now, he also gives us a helpful distinction between male headship and male domination. Top of the page 138. The model of headship is our Lord uh, Jesus, the head of the church, who gave himself for us, right? Jesus was male, okay? There you go. The antithesis to male headship, though, is male domination. And this is what feminism wants to do. They want to say, oh, no, you can't go even down that route. And, of course, they want to bring up the extreme unbiblical example of what's called male domination, okay? And that's not what the Bible is talking about. By male domination is the assertion that man's will over, uh, uh, of woman's will, heedless of her spiritual equality, her rights, and her value, right? The Bible says that women are the weaker vessel. And that's why when the man says, you better go out there and rob that liquor store for me because we need some extra cash, she has to do it. Now that's what feminism would portray. It's an abuse and a misunderstanding of that text. Weaker vessel, actually a better understanding of that word uh, is precious. Delicate would be a good one, right? Uh, for, for, to put it this way, uh, God has wired men. We could take the shots of life a little bit easier. That's why we're the ones who are supposed to be on the front lines taking the hit, right? Uh, not the ladies. We're to protect you. We're to, to, to guard you, to, to provide for you. That's what a, a biblical man's supposed to do, right? Uh, he's made us like a big old giant uh, Taco Bell. There comes that food analogy. Big old Taco Bell. <laughs> Strike two. I hope he, Dr. Harden, please don't be watching. Uh, <laughs> The big old Taco Bell tumbler cup, right? So if that thing falls over, what's going to happen to it? 
crash, you break. No, it doesn't. It's made of plastic. It bounces right back. That's what guys are. That's what we're made. God's wired us in general like that, right? Ladies, you're like a, ch a fine china goblet, right? And you don't just <laughs> like over there. And they certainly don't serve those at Taco Bell. Okay, but uh, no, you handle that with precious, delicate care. Well, that's what the word means there. So again, feminism takes it out of context. Okay, and that is a man in a God-glorifying way. Of course, he receives your input. Of course, he considers what you would have to say about a matter. But when a decision is made, it's not just about him. Well, I'm going to get it because that's what I want. <laughs> no, it's a family decision. You receive the input. But here's the deal. So why would you even have a guy set up like that? How come you don't try to follow the 50-50? Well, guess what? Has anybody ever come into marriage with a disagreement? You ever always agree on everything? No. So guess what? But you still got to make a decision, right? And, and if, if you gave both equal when it came down to that headship issue, you got a two, I like what one guy said, you got a two-headed monster, right? Is everybody at your workplace the boss, including you, right? Everybody in the military, the general? No, there's a chain of command. Why? Because that's for proper order functioning. And so when we get to the family unit, you mean to tell me that there, you can't have a chain of command? No wonder it's all messed up. Okay, and then I had, I remember a, a premarital counseling for Brandy and I, Pastor Manny gave us six months, nothing personal for us, I don't think anyway, everybody else got two, but no, uh, but it was, <laughs> I think we did all right, but anyway, one of the nuggets he shared during that thing, and uh, do you guys ever do that in premarital counseling? You go to your pastor, and it's just like, you just want to get all married, right? You're just, yeah, whatever, we're fine, everything's always going to be great, it's awesome, we're just going through this, we got the googlies in the stomach, and then after you get married, it's like, that guy was a genius, why didn't I take notes? And, uh, but anyway, so, uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, one of the things that stuck out of me uh, during that time frame uh, was he talked about, he says, you need to understand what it means to have male headship, uh, Billy. He says, that doesn't mean that, you, you know, you get to make all the decisions and you don't listen to her input and you don't take her input and you don't seek input. You leave her out of the equation. It's not at all what the Bible's talking about. He says, plus, uh, uh, good, bad, or ugly, when the decision is made, it's your responsibility 100% of the time. Good, bad, or ugly. He says, you can't just take credit when it turns out to be a good decision, right? If it turns out to be a bad decision and that house you bought, that you, uh, you know, maybe you disagreed once, you won the pink one, you won the one that was camouflage. Um, apparently, uh, and, uh, and, then, and, and you chose the camouflage one, but it turned out to be a night, that's your fault. Well, that's, that's an easy one. He says, but, but case in point, he says, maybe you were listening to your wife's input as you should. You got to make a decision, right? And uh, you, you, you said, well, I really don't think that pink house is not just because of the color. I just really don't think it's a really good house. I don't think it's a good investment, but you know what? I'll just do it anyway. It turns out you buy that pink house and initially she likes it, but once you get inside that house, you find out it's an absolute, complete money pit, right? And so what you do at that point, you go back to your wife and you say, it's your fault. He said, no, you, no, it's your fault. Welcome to being a spiritual leader of the home. That's the heavy mantle responsibility. You have to make the right decision for the family. Most of the, a lot of times you agree anyway, but when the rubber meets the road, you got to make the right decision. That's male headship. Domination is when you say, no input, no nothing, I don't care, it's all about, and, and that's what feminism gravitates towards, don't they? But that's not what the Bible teaches. And they twist and they contort it. Let's continue on. Male domination is uh, uh, against the woman's value, her input, all that stuff. Now that we've defined some terms, let's take a look at male-female equality and male headship. According to the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 is the opening text here. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Our, whoa, you got some plural things going on there. What's going on? We got many gods? 
That's your trinity, Elohim in the plural there uh, in the Hebrew. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle. Just had to do a moment of silence on that. <laughs> in the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, we just talked about Satan's plan as to what? Take God's truth, twist it, contort it, pervert it into something horrible that will bring destruction. And he just said there as man, we are to subdue the earth, right? And that we are to rule over the earth, the fish, the sea, the birds, and everything that moves on the ground. And what's happened today with the environmental movement? The fish are ruling, the birds are ruling, the creepy crawly bugs are ruling over man, right? We will work and we'll save a whale, but we'll murder a child, right? It's twisted, it's completely backwards, once again, of the what? The Genesis account. Oh, hey, I just bought a whole bunch of property. I can't wait to, you know, build that house. No, you're not. That bird rules over you now. Don't spot it out. We found there back in 1922. We haven't found it in many years, but I saw him there one day. You can't build on there. Really? You just bought all that land for development? Well, sorry, you can't use it. You can't raise your cattle on that land. In fact, we're going to take the land away from you because we found that red-spotted uh, cheese wacky doodle frog. One of them, and that's all it takes. It, that's what, do you see the importance of the Genesis account? Why is that important? We, we laugh at it, but what, what's Satan doing? Twisting, contorting, perverting the Genesis account. The bugs and the birds and the trees and, and the fleas and the bees, they got all dominion over us. Again, he's twisting them. All right, now, this is the first record we got of God creating mankind. And this incredible passage indicates several important things about mankind in general and, of course, about male-female equality. Now, we note that their names are Adam and Eve, which we find out later, were made in the image of God. Okay, he says uh, not all theologians agree what this means, uh, uh, but it's probable that it means of all creatures, it's only mankind who shares with God communicable attributes, life, personality, truth, wisdom, love, holiness, and justice. I would say that it's obvious that man is created in God's image spiritually and morally. Okay, and there's something unique about man. Again, who's twisted, perverted, contorted this? Satan. Evolution says that, no, we came from the goo to the zoo to me and you, right? And we're no different, right? It was just some cosmic burp. Boop, oh, hey, here we are. Nothing exploded, and here we are. And we wonder why kids aren't doing well in school. That's actually what they teach, by the way, uh, if you're paying attention to the textbooks. Okay, and, uh, uh, but, but again, excuse me? So, so dogs, oh, here's another one, twisted cord. Dogs and cats have just as much rights as humans. Of course, what do they do? They set you up. They'll take the extreme example of people that abuse animals, which nobody's for, I hope. And then they'll get people with sympathy. Have you ever seen those commercials? They shut, they got that music going. <laughs> and they show Sparky in the, behind the jail. Big old floppy ears. He's going to die if you don't send a hundred bucks. You know, I mean, some of those techniques, sometimes it would be tempting to do in the church, but I don't ever think that we should ever do something like that. But that's what they do. They, they suck you into it, right? Get that dog. He's got it. He's, he's going to save his soul. And then they get you sucked into that. And then again, the dogs start taking precedence, right? And, and, and that, that, that's what they're doing. They're really, excuse me? So, so dogs are equal value as us. 
Now, if there ever were two dogs that ever going to make it to heaven, it's my dog. No, uh, but uh, cool wiener dog. But, but no, there's something different about mankind. We're creating God's image. This is the Genesis account. I'm sorry. We're not like the animals, right? Why have not dogs at this point, as cool as they are, have not built skyscrapers? Why haven't cats become doctors to help the dying and community? I know, birds, peacocks. Why have we never, and they got the quills to do it. Why haven't we seen them paint pictures like Picasso? Something's wrong. And oh, excuse me, if we came from an ape, it's the classic line. Then uh, why don't we see them produce another human? Ever, once, ever, excuse me? There's something different. Again, it's the Genesis account. Mankind is created in God's image. We have a spiritual relationship with God himself. Okay, man logically reasons, feels emotions. We've got a spiritual relationship with God. Moses states here that mankind was created in God's image. He also states that mankind was created with dual sexuality. In other words, male and female. That doesn't mean I have a feminine side. No, I'm sorry. That's not biblical. All right, that society says that. Okay. Uh, and that woman, you got the male and the female and the duality. Sorry. Uh, that's Eastern religions. That's not Bible. Okay. You're a man, you're a woman, that's it. And what you see is God's wired men a certain way, he's wired women a spe specific way. But society's once again come and has, has tweaked with that severely. Okay. Now, let's continue on. He states that mankind was created with this duality, male and female, two distinct is your blank there? Two distinct sexes, okay? Earlier, Moses stated, let them rule, showing they're both involved in the ruling process. Okay, verse 28, here's the responsibilities. They're both equal image bearers of God. They're both called to be fruitful and multiply. See, that's another thing that goes against the grain. How is the only way that you can be obedient to this command to be fruitful and multiply? You need... One man and one woman. How many guys can figure that out without any help? Raise your hand. Now, and what's being promoted today with the homosexual movement, what can they not do? That's not a minor issue, folks. It's, again, you're bucking at the system. That's why it ain't never going to happen. Because we came from God, and God designed it. If you're going to fulfill this command, it's got to be one man, woman. He's setting the pattern. Okay, he's setting the pattern. That means you're rejecting the pattern right there. Fill the earth, subdue it, and they're both called to rule over the rest of God's creation, not the other way around. Okay, now again, look at what those three points here just in the uh, uh, initial stages of Genesis chapter one. Every single one of them in our society today, Satan has twisted, contorted, perverted. Every single one of them. Is it any wonder why our society is falling apart? He's attacking the biblical example. Now, did God give man headship? Well, Genesis 1 through 3, we see full equality as far as the image of God is concerned in carrying out the command to rule over the rest of God's creation and by being fruitful and increasing the population of the world with godly. That's another thing. That's the responsibility of families having this discussion with somebody else. Hey, if you, if, you, if you want somebody else to raise your kids, I understand there's some circumstances, but if you have the ability to be there as mom and dad and you, to raise your, well, see, that's the whole other issue. What's going on today? How many fatherless homes or single parent family homes? I'm not here to pick whatever and we, there's always reason for that. But we're getting away from that and we're getting away from that point also to the point that I remember back in the day if a guy uh, got a girl uh, pregnant, okay, which is marriage, which is called fornication. When's the last time you heard a sermon on that? I, I'm sorry, we've gotten away and we've shied away from the biblical command and we're reaping what we sow, right? It used to be a shameful thing. 
Not anymore. To the point where the bulk of the church today has no problem living together before marriage. Assuming there's no fornication. What? It's called cohabitation. Jesus, in John chapter 4, he confronted the woman at the well. And he says, hey, go home and go get your husband. What's she saying? I ain't gotten what Jesus say. You're right. Of course, he's God. He knows, right? He says, uh, you've had five husbands and the what man you're with. Wait a second. Did Jesus condone her lifestyle or did he call her on the carpet? She was living in sin. Oh, so living to, oh, and that's just one passage. But we've gotten away from that because we want to remove the stigma because we want to break up the family unit. You don't need a mom and dad. You could do it all by yourself. And again, I know there's some cases where people are widows or, or uh, divorces happen uh, unrightly so. And so, and I've had that in my own family. Both my sisters raised kids alone. I understand that. But the biblical mandate is we are not holding men to be accountable. And can I say something like this? There's also women that are doing it now. They're ditching the man. Right? Because what does society say? God says kids are a blessing. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Woo! Stack them up. Right? What do we think kids are today? They're a nuisance. Get them out of here. Oh, by the way, in fact, before they even get out of the womb, let's kill them. Right? And we're, we're denigrating that. Okay? Godly progeny. A God's design. We used to hold men accountable. You ever hear the term? At least they had this in the Midwest and parts of the South. It's called them fancy living shotgun weddings. You know what I'm saying? You did something wrong, mister. Guess what you doing? You just married my daughter. Whether you like her or not. Whether she's got a giant wart the size of the I don't care. You're marrying my daughter. You're going to be responsible. Because that's God's design. Two wrongs don't make it right. But you're going to be responsible. We don't do that anymore. And we're reaping what we sow. Uh, and it's to produce godly progeny. Kids are not a nuisance. As a mom and dad, you're supposed to raise them in a godly fashion. We'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, now the question is this. The context of this passage that clearly teaches the spiritual equality of the sexes. Is there any hint of male headship? Well, I think there is. Uh, let's take a look. How may we understand the logic of God's design to describe, top page 139, the human race as man? He's going to say it down here. Hey, wait a second. Is that by chance? That God said mankind? Why didn't he say womankind if she was supposed to be the leader? Why was it mankind? Okay, we're going to talk about it. Well, it makes sense in the back a drop of male headship. Moses doesn't explicitly teach that in chapter 1, uh, but neither does he explicitly teach male-female equality. We don't see neither the words male-female equality or male headship. Uh, in Genesis 1 through 3, but what Moses does provide is a series of more or less obvious hints as to his doctrine on manhood and womanhood. The, the, the burden of Genesis 1, 26 through 28, is male-female equality. We're creating God's image. That seems obvious. <laughs> Wonderfully obvious. You ever wonder sometimes the timing of when the guy's writing this? Was he out of the country for three months? Do you say What's the motive? Anyway, I digress. Anyway, so, anyway, wonderfully obvious. But God's naming of the race, man, whispers of guess what? Male headship, which Moses uh, will bring forward boldly in chapter 2. God did not name the human race woman. If woman had been the more appropriate and illuminating designation, no doubt God would have used it. He does not even devise a neutral term like persons. Oh, isn't that another hot topic today? 
right? You got to be politically correct. Really? I do this every single time. In fact, you're seeing some Bible translations. Uh, they're doing away with mankind and they're using humankind. Oops, no, I'm sorry. It's mankind, right? Mankind is what it is, okay? Let's continue on. Uh, he talks about that. Uh, neutral persons. Uh, he called us man, which anticipates the male headship brought out clearly in chapter two, just as male and female in verse 27 foreshadows marriage between a man and a woman in chapter two. Male headship may be uh, personally repugnant to feminists, but it does have the virtue of explaining the sacred text. Now, let me give you some of that since we're on the topic of being politically correct. Uh, and uh, I kind of alluded to that. Uh, they do actually have uh, a new politically correct uh, Bible. Oxford, I think, puts this one out. And let me share with you how they have, again, attacking the Genesis account. Let's take a look. Um, in the majestic opening of John's gospel, the glory he has from the Father... John 1.14, the glory he has from the Father as the only son of the Father has now been changed to the glory as of a parent's only child. Because again, uh, you know, if we keep saying he and father and him, then that's going to make girls feel devalued and guys are going to get a big head and become dominionists. And, uh. What? It's one thing to do this in society, but now that you're doing it, uh, to that. The Lord's Prayer now begins in this version, Father, Mother, hallowed be your name. May your dominion come. Jesus, uh, understanding as God's only son, is now changed to no one knows the child except the father, mother, and no one knows the father, mother, except the child. What? And avoiding another phrase, son of man, uh, it's now read, uh, they will see the human one coming in clouds with great power and glory. Can you believe that? Satan takes something, what's he do? He twists, contorts, perverts it, everything. And again, what is he, in order to bring society down. See, he's a liar and he's been one from the beginning. We'll see that Lord one this Sunday. He's a murderer and he's been one from the beginning, right? He's a liar, he's the father of all lies, okay? So if he is a murderer and he wants to bring destruction, the great uh, 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 destroyer, and he's gonna destroy society and destroy the planet, how is he gonna do it? You gotta start attacking the Bible. You gotta especially start attacking the Genesis account because that's the foundation for a lot of function. Not just the creation and man being created especially in God's image, but also the beginning of marriage, also the beginning of government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you attack, you have to attack that. And that's what he's been doing for decades and decades. And unfortunately, it's one thing for them to do it. It's another thing for the church to cave into it. I call it digging your own grave. Why don't you just go get a, a backhoe and help them out? I don't recommend it. Uh, now, it's really gotten bad. Uh, feminists have a new version of the Bible. The feminist version goes like this. Uh, the publisher uh, has now transformed the prodigal son into the prodigal daughter. And the Lord's Prayer has been changed to the ladies' prayer. I'm not making this up. Luke chapter 2 now reads, uh, uh, And Joseph went to Bethlehem to be enrolled with Mary, his wife, who was then pregnant. And she brought forth her firstborn child, and her name was chosen to be... Judith. On the passage on the crucifixion, John 19 says, and she bearing her cross went forth. There they crucified Judith. Matthew 28, the resurrection says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Judith who was crucified. She's not here. She is risen. Makes you want to take a toothbrush and some lava soap and get it off your tongue. 
Can you, that's blasphemy. Blasphemy. Wow. And of course, I got to share this one uh, because again, it's an attack on the distant count. Uh, it's the New Gay Bible. New Gay Bible. Uh, there's a new version. It's set out to be published with the Gay Old and Gay New Testament, which says gay is right and straight and heterosexuality is a sin. Uh, in this version, Adam gets the heave-ho and he's replaced with Ida, A-I-D-A. And the Lord, uh, is, here's a passage, and Genesis account, and again, what are they attacking? The Genesis account. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Ida and she slept. And he took one of her ribs and closed up the flesh in, uh, instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from woman, made he another woman and brought her unto the first. And Ida said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Therefore shall a woman leave her mother and shall cleave unto her wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the woman and her wife, and were not ashamed. Max Mitchell described the work as, listen to this, divinely inspired. He says, quote, Jesus was gay. And in biblical times, homosexual relationships were so commonplace that uh, one, uh, no one gave it a second thought. Quote, it was heterosexuality that was considered sinful. I think nobody's going to buy into this. Listen, one participant even stated this, quote, finally, a version of the Bible everyone can relate to. Wow. What is their society? Guys, I don't, I don't know if you, this, this might really be an important study. Biblical family roles. It's like, it's like if we don't get the beginning right, everything's all messed up. And that's exactly what's happening uh, to our society, okay? Let's continue on. Since we've stated that male headship is set forth boldly in Genesis 2, verses 18 to 25, let's look at the passage and see how it establishes this doctrine as hinted by the previous passage. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a what? Helper, okay? Suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle, <laughs> and the birds of the sky, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no fa uh, not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib, which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And Adam was so excited. He says, whoa, she's going to be called, whoa, man. He's excited because she was taken out of man, right? Now for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and the, uh, shall cleave unto his wife and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, as we saw in Genesis 1 there, male and female bear the image of God equally. But what we see in the passage above is that in addition to the equality, there's also a clear difference in functionality. Functionality is your blank there. I can go in much greater detail, but I'm going to say that Lord willing, start at 1912, 312, dash B, subsection D, uh, when we actually get to those other chapters. Okay, he, uh, for he, God made man the head, underline that, and the woman helper. Head helper. Well, that ain't right. Folks, I'm telling you, an analogy I use all the time, it's like, anybody like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff, right? Okay, we won't cause a church split and decide who likes crunchy, who likes creamy. We'll just leave that alone. We'll just stick it to peanut butter and jelly, okay? Uh, but isn't it, a, a, a jelly sandwich is pretty good. Yeah, uh, peanut butters, it's pretty good. 
But man, when you put peanut butter and jelly together, it's like the universe starts singing. It's just awesome. It makes it so good. And see, that's what we see when it comes to the biblical roles. He talks about functionality. Of course we're equal. Man and women, we're created in God's image, right? Unlike the animals. But he's created us different, which means we've got different functions, which means they're different, but they're equally important. And if you just leave it alone, yeah, she's a piece of jelly, I guess, and he's a hunk of peanut butter. This will preach, I get. That's a book title. Men are a hunk of peanut butter and women are a piece of jelly. Uh, but you, you leave it alone. You, man, you do your peanut butter thing. Woman, you do your jelly thing and do it up. And then when you come together and just fulfill your function, it makes something wonderful. See, that's where society's getting it all wrong. Oh, because you're, I'm jelly and you're, I have to be peanut butter too. No, you're not. You'll never be peanut butter, you're jelly. I'm sorry, it's two substances that aren't ever gonna become each other. Well, well you're, pe you're all peanut butter. You need to add some jelly to eat. No. You do your thing, I do your thing. They're both equally valued. Both have their uh, uh, pros and cons, but you put them together, it's awesome. That's what we need to do. Man's the head, woman's the helper. Male headship's defined in the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, and the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. That is, God calls the man with the counsel and help to help her. She, she, she might know a couple things you don't know. Anybody learned that yet? Anybody learned that women have this awesome thing called woman's intuition? That's awesome. Okay? Now, sometimes they can get it wrong. Emotions get the best of them. Okay, but sometimes guys, we're clueless. And they're picking up on, oh, don't, mm, mm, I'm, I'm telling you, mm, and you'd be a fool not to listen to that sometimes. I, I learn them a hard way, okay? <laughs> to see that male headship, a male-female partnership serves the purpose of God, not the sinful urges of either member of the partnership, all right? Uh, Genesis chapter two, verse 18 to 25, amplifies the creation of mankind set forth there in Genesis one. In the context leading up to our present passage, we see that God created man first and placed him in the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. In addition to the requirements to cultivate and keep the garden, there was a prohibition that being to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If the man did, he would die both physically and spiritually, which physically he eventually did. Although Adam existed in the garden of paradise, there was one problem that God pointed out. It's not good for man to what? Be alone. God uh, first asked Adam to name the animals. He carefully named the animals, given them a name that reflected something about their particular nature. In this exercise, he began to uh, realize that none of them shared his nature. Now that Adam realized that the fact that he was alone, as far as an equal in nature, God carried through with his promise in Genesis 2 when he says, I'm going to make a helper. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. The Hebrew term for helper is azir, which means a helper, help, or support. This woman would be a suitable, uh, would be suitable for him in the sense that only she, of all the creatures, shared a common nature with Adam. Let's just finish this paragraph. We'll finish up. Verse 21 tells us that uh, what happened next. So the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. This is now bone of my bones, bones or bones, whichever you prefer as I'm trying to get this done, uh, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. Why? Because listen to this Hebrew word. This is cool. Guys, you can use this tonight as a little romantic thing. Maybe it might score at least a half a point for you. Uh, it's the Hebrew word for woman is isha. Because she was taken out of man, ish. So you go to your wife and say, hey, listen. You're the shah of my ish. You complete me, man. Doesn't that sound awesome? 
Ladies, would you, if your husband said that tonight, would you give him at least a 0.5 something on the score scale? Yeah, thank you. Let's continue on. We've got to finish. Uh, the first words recorded mankind follow with incredible beauty. What a beautiful expression of love. The creation of the woman uh, to the first man. Whoa, man. Uh, uh, Adam uh, carefully observed that the woman, just as the, all the other creatures that God created, he must have marveled at her beauty and, and been overwhelmed when he realized that this new creature was his equal. And again, it's obvious. I mean, it's just Adam and the woman, which is why they called it paradise because there was no mother-in-laws at that point. Ooh, hey, he's really bad. Let's continue on. Uh, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Brandy has a wonderful mother-in-law. So let's continue. Uh, this creature, <laughs> this creature, I'm in trouble. And this creature truly met his uh, need for companionship. This new creature uh, could meet his inner longing. Moses goes on to explain that throughout history, man and woman have paired off to create homes. That's why he says, for this cause, what cause? For that, the cause that woman was taken out of man. Uh, they're going to leave their father and mother. He's going to cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The institution of marriage is not a result of, listen, tradition. It is a part of God's sovereign design. Sovereign design. Moses shows here the attraction between man and woman eventually leads to what? Marriage, okay? Uh, it's caused by the fact that the woman was taken from the man in the original creation, thus the reunion of what was originally one flesh, because you remember the rib, uh, is, is God's natural design. The fact that they were naked, not ashamed, shows the perfect uh, perfection of the original creation. They perfectly complemented each other. They perfectly complemented each other each other. We're different. Anybody again can figure that out without any help? Right? But we're different by God's design. Peanut butter and jelly. And what you find that God has made you different for purposes because what the other one is lacking, the other one completes. Okay? And, uh, and again, what you see the challenge in any marriage and certainly a biblical marriage is you're different. You're always going to be different. Don't try to make the other person like you because they can't. No, I'll say that for later. I want one thing. Sorry, hang on with me. This is cool. Just one aspect, man. And hey, I didn't make up these acronyms. Somebody else did. So I'm not going to tell. Man, did you know that we don't even think the same? Our brain's loose. Hey, is that a surprise or what? Okay. <laughs> man, it's, here's our brain firing order. They've done studies on this, right? We have what's called TAF. Okay. Here's how we process information. We think first. Then we act. And then we feel maybe if they ever kick in, typically, right? Women, I didn't make this up. Here's how you think. It's the acronym. Yeah, I didn't make it up. It's fat, okay? You feel first, then you act, then you think about it. Yes, very brave. And very uh, <laughs> brave. But uh, boy, that explains some things, doesn't it? Well, that, well, well, gee whiz, that means it's mission impossible. We'll never get, no, there's pros and cons in it, right? And what you find is you're different. You, you don't even think the same, but that's not bad. You do your thing as the peanut butter. You do your thing as the jelly. And you, you, it seems on the out front that, hey, it's always going to lead to conflict. No, the challenge is how do we complement? And that's what he's saying. You get back to the biblical design. Stop bucking at God's design society, church. And things will start getting together again. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not?
And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. 
And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.